Welcome to the Witches and Wine audio experience. Awesome. And thank um, you so much, Rachel, for agreeing to do this with me. So guys, uh, this video is going to be a really fun way to basically learn about how to read natal charts and how to read transits in natal charts. And for me, I'm not really a book person. And I learn best through real life examples. And who better to learn from than Rachel? I mean, the first time that she gave me a natal reading, I was mind blown. I was like, holy crap. Like, how did she know? Right? So um, I love the way that she deconstructs charts. And I can't wait for her to deconstruct this mystery star chart. Mm. Oh, Rachel, are you excited? I'm excited. I am excited. Um, I just realized we need to get an image of the chart up. Um, and that is on my end now. So give me just a moment to pull up this chart. I can also share my screen. Oh yeah, please. Oh yeah, you can do that. Okay, great. Great. Yeah. If you could pull up the chart, that would be super helpful. Thank you. Yes. So let me pull up the chart. And this mystery start, hold on a second. Let me make sure is the name all erased and everything because part of the fun is like you try to guess who it is based upon all the planets, how the personality's like, and how this person has been, you know, living their life. Mm -hmm. And uh, if the name is on it, then it defeats the purpose. So let me just make sure. Yeah, we have to keep it secret, at least for yeah. a little bit. Mystery star. Mm -hmm. You know, like I have to say, like I, I kind of woke up like, I don't know, like 45 minutes ago. And the great thing is my hair looks amazing after I wake up, but then it starts to deep poof. Oh. <laughs> time goes on. So right now my hair, great. But don't be surprised if over time, like my hair just gets flatter and flatter. Oh, and flatter. oh no. I, I think your hair does look great. Oh, thank you. I think uh, your, head, your headband is very, well, I just love all the headbands that you wear. Like, I like your hair accessories. Thank you. Yeah, it's just a scarf. No. <laughs> I think it might even be like a, actually like a tiny tablecloth, but whatever. A tiny tablecloth. Yeah, that, that's tiny. so cute. I love that. <laughs> All right. So there's no name on this. Okay. Right. Well, let me, because I'm slightly paranoid because the file has the name of the person on it. I'm just going to rename the file just in case it shows up. Okay. But yeah, like, um, I think one of the cool things about, you know, I was talking to my friend the other day about astrology and she's a little bit skeptical. Okay. And I was telling her how astrology was the first science mm -hmm. that humans actually practice. And it has what, 6,000 years of data point. At to, least. Yeah. At least that's like, that's what can be proven. 
And then uh -huh. there's a lot of theory that it's much, much older than that. Um, but that part of our history on this planet is unknown. So it's very difficult to trace and to prove. But there's a lot of little signs and signifiers that it could be much, much older even than 6,000 years. Okay. Yeah. yeah, like for me, it's sort of like, um, if you have 6,000 years of people basically peer reviewing mm -hmm. each other's results and people's lives basically being on the line, like if you gave the wrong reading to the king or emperor, I mean, your head was going to get cut off. Yeah. So there was definitely an emphasis on let's try to make this as accurate as possible. So for me, astrology, every time that I do any sort of divination, I always throw astrology in there, mm -hmm. trying to see what the good timing is. Mm -hmm. And so far, it has not at all let me down. Yeah. <laughs> I'm happy about that. Yeah. It feels, all right. good it feels good to have good timing, you know? I think, it does. I think just everyone knows that we have an innate sense of rhythm. Mm. We have a heartbeat. There's the ebb and flow of the tide. There's the, the circle of the moon. There are so many rhythms that we are like born of and in tune with. And it just feels so good. It does. It feels Absolutely. natural. Yeah, it feels good. So mm -hmm. that's why, that's why always, um, when, once you give astrology a chance, once you actually start, not just reading your horoscope but actually paying attention and living through it it feels so graceful it's like living life um with this, a background of really beautiful music so it doesn't make life easy but it is so nice to have music in the background no matter what you're doing so it's yeah. like making the soundtrack match the actions of the movie yeah like if you have like scary like yeah. psycho like background music playing but like you're just like I don't know twirling around on the street I mean that could be cool too but it kind of like helps the mood if you know how to go with the music that's how I see it yeah I love it that's a really good way to look at it okay. all right I'm gonna share let's see if this works How's that? It's good. Very good. Okay. Very nice. Can't see who it is. All right. So let's go, everybody. Um, the, first, the first thing that we want to point out is that whoever this is, it's their birthday. Today is June 8th. And so right here, right now, this person is experiencing what we call their solar return, meaning that the sun has actually returned to the place that it was when they were born. And just for everybody's reference, the natal chart is a picture of what was going on in the sky at the time of somebody's birth. And that's all represented in this inner circle. All of the symbols that are in black, this actually represents the static image of this person's birth. Now, these green planets on the outside these are what we call transiting planets. And this actually shows us right now, as of today, June 8th, 2018, what's going on in the sky around this person's chart. And so you can tell that it is this person's birthday because there's the sun right on top of the sun. Solar return, what we call the birthday. So 
it's an important day for this person. And we all know that that means that they're a Gemini. They're a Gemini. So I'm sure that even for those that don't know that much about astrology, they could feel that over the last couple of weeks, a lot of motion has picked up in the air. There's been a lot of things moving more quickly, moving more swiftly, and that is the current of Gemini season. Geminis, people born with their sun in Gemini, are the most dynamic and diverse people because they are aware of everything that exists between polarities. They're the, the mind that exists to process information in its light and shadow. It's on and off. It's up and down. And so Geminis are those people that can develop their mental abilities, their ability to learn and to, um, to develop skill. They can do so in any direction. They have the most dynamic capabilities with technical skills, with linguistic uh, capacity, and they tend to be driven by almost a madness of curiosity, like that Is old. All Gemini's though, like I'm, yeah. I'm guessing that there's at least a couple of Gemini's out there who are not curious at all, who have zero interest in anything intellectual or anything about technology or new things or movement and to just want to stay home and just watch TV mindlessly. Um, I mean, is it every Gemini or is it like, well, this I would say that um, we always, we always have a choice to take all the things that we are gifted with and just waste them on sitting at home watching TV. So no one could ever find out who they are just, by retreating from the world and only only meditating on narratives that have been created for you. Um, so, but no, not all Gemini suns are the same. There's a lot of different elements in the chart um, that give us a much bigger picture of who somebody is. Um, the sign of Gemini is associated with the process of learning. Mm -hmm. And so it is associated that people born at this time of year really like to learn. They like to pick up on things. They tend to be quick. Now, if somebody is a Gemini and they can honestly say that they have absolutely no interest in learning anything, um, then I would be curious to have a conversation with them about why that might be. What's standing in the way of their feelings towards their ability to learn, you know? Um, but for the most part, people that are born during Gemini season with their son there, they really tend to be clever and adaptable and excited to gather new ideas, to gather new information. Now, information does not mean that it has to be academic or elitist. Information is everything that we're consuming. So Geminis tend to be people that have an ability to amass a lot of information, a lot of knowledge. And that is as diverse as human beings are. Like you cannot tell what kind of information a Gemini is going to become well-versed in. You're not going to be able to tell what 
kind of interests a Gemini has just by calling them a sun in Gemini. But these people born at this time of year, they really, really tend to be great collectors and amassers of facts, knowledge, data. They tend to become encyclopedias of whatever it is that they have a passion for. Now, if somebody is a sun in Gemini and they feel like they just don't have a passion for anything right now, try to think back to a time when you did and how you interacted with that passion, when you did have that, when you did feel that. Geminis tend to thoroughly and deeply, madly love the things that they're into and they collect all of the information, all of the trivia, all of the historical record. They're really, really, really devoted students of whatever it is that they're passionate about in life. Um, so somebody, would you suggest then that if a Gemini doesn't know what their passion is to look at the house? Absolutely. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. So this person, since their son in Gemini is in the 12th house, what does that seem to suggest? Okay. Well, the 12th house is actually the hardest house to talk about. And that's because the 12th house in astrology is the place of the unconscious mind. So that like simple word that we use to define that gateway between conscious, waking, rational life and the rest, <laughs> like the primordial soup of dreams and mysticism and transcendence and... Uh, and um, spiraling down into an abyss. You know, there's every kind of, of iteration of the human narrative all swirling together in the 12th house because it's the unconscious. And so the best image of that is a great ocean, like a dark ocean where everything's churning together at once. So for a person to have their sun in the 12th house, especially in a conjunction with Jupiter, like you see right here. Oh my goodness. This person is somebody who is, they have a light in the darkness of the abyss. And so they are basically possessed by mythical, mystical, revelations. They are like a medium of the whole human story. And so their imagination is like the biggest reality for them. Sometimes, you know, depending on what kind of a chart you have, you're more focused on the external, rational, day-to-day um, -day life. Other people, they have more of a focus on the inner world of dreams, fantasies, and mystical revelations. And so whenever you see somebody who's got a sun and a Jupiter in the 12th house, you go, this person is um, really prone to have divine revelations. They're also prone to being kind of tossed around in madness. Madness, like imagine if you were trying to survive in a vast ocean that had a lot of different currents and a lot of different storms. 
um, that's where this person lives. That's where they live. <laughs> so it's intense. Um, when you see somebody who has a concentration in the 12th house, it tends to be associated with someone who spends a lot of time away from the world. Um, so in, you know, in more traditional societies from long ago, the proper place for somebody with this much access to the archetypal unconscious realm, the proper place for them is uh, somewhere away from the world to meditate and pray, a monastery, a convent, uh, a retreat center, something like that. People with this kind of concentration there need a lot of time away from the world. Um, now, the dark side of having a 12th house emphasis is that you can find yourself in hospitals and prisons and asylums a lot because that's like the shadowy expression of um, what we would call like the spiritual retreat. So you can either retreat from the world to, to meditate and pray and become centered again, or you retreat from the world by force because you've become sick or too strained and you have to be like put outside of the world again. So people with 12th house emphasis tend to feel no matter what happens to them in life, no matter how successful they become, they feel ostracized and isolated. They often feel distant and um, they feel removed from the world that they want to be a part of. Um, so it has a great deal of emotional uh, agony that goes along with it. But the value and the blessing in it is this amazing imagination that they have. They have access to so much creative energy. They have such vivid dreams and they can use their dreams um, in a really powerful way. So there is a blessing and a curse to having this kind of placement in a chart. Um, but yeah, I want to hear what you think about it, Chawan, since you also study astrology. What do you see when you look at this placement on the 12th? You know, it's so interesting that the 12th house, it sounds very Piscean, you know, yeah. it sounds dreamy and shamanistic. Um, and you have the sun and Jupiter. And to me, those are like the two big boys, you know, yeah. of astrology in terms of like big, expansive, look at me. Mm -hmm. But then it's also in Gemini. Mm -hmm. So there's, when I look at this, I kind of feel like there's a slight, I don't know, like a bipolarness about it. I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, we're talking about the sign of Gemini again. Polarities, the twins. The twins represents extreme sides of every issue, the polarity in this world, the duality in this world. And so, yeah, this person already is kind of prone to become stretched too far across polarity. So that could lead to a, a bipolar experience of life. And then we see if you can look at this opposition right here between this place in the 12th house, and this is the planet Neptune in the sixth house, Neptune right there. So this opposition, that 
is very, very indicative of what you just said, that this is somebody who really suffers from um, the tossing and turning of their emotional and spiritual security. <laughs> like they definitely experience the highest highs and the lowest lows in um, they have a capacity to speak to what they perceive to be the divine. Um, this person really feels that there's a connection to higher power in this world. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's all bliss. I think that a lot of people think, oh, well, we want to connect to a higher power to feel comfort and to feel bliss, to feel like safe and secure, to feel saved, if you will. Um, and this person has a lot in their chart that says um, they want that too. They feel connected to the divine, but it is not exclusively blissful. There's a lot of hard lessons in um, their spiritual life. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of what they perceive as punishment as well as great blessings. You know. What so do you think it, it says that? What do you think it says in terms of the fact that there is this opposition to Neptune in Sagittarius, and it's the sixth house. Sixth house is sort of yeah work, right? Not like maybe so much career, but like daily life and just the grind of daily work. Yeah, um, I would say if I was looking at this chart just off the cuff, I'd say this is a person who. Uh, needs to do creative visionary things for work. They need to have a daily practice of actually accessing the Neptunian realm. So meditation, prayer, creativity, they need to have something like that um, as a daily routine. Um, but the other thing that I see is that they have actually a very uh, difficult time having any grounding routine having anything like what the sixth house is supposed to be about. So the sixth house represents where we get up at the right time, eat the right breakfast, groom ourselves properly for the good of our health, take care of ourselves with walking, breathing, paying bills, keeping your place tidy. That's the sixth house. And people think it's really boring, but it's so important. It's the foundation of everything else that we want to do. And so to have Neptune, this like very transcendent mystical planet in the sixth house, it makes it very difficult for this person to actually have a grounding routine. It's difficult for them to know what's good for them and stick to it. It's always changing. There's always new influences coming in. And I really think Neptune is associated with not just mysticism, but altered states of consciousness. And so when you see like a difficult Neptune placement like that, you can definitely see there is a very, very, very large window of opportunity for this person to become escapist. And escapism leads to oftentimes drug and alcohol abuse, as well as other forms of addiction to just escape reality. So people with Neptune in the sixth house, especially in this opposition right here with the 12th, it's very tense. It's very hard for this person to find 
uh, a day-to-day practice that works for them. Um, and they have a lot of problems staying here in the present moment. They're always trying to get out somewhere else, always trying to escape, get back into the imagination, get back into a place where things feel limitless. Um, this person does not like the cold, hard facts of material reality. Like there's only so much time in a day. There's only so much time in a life. And there are things you must do if you expect to continue getting certain results. So, you know what, like, um, I also have a very difficult sort of opposition um, thing in my chart. Yeah, uh, It's between my, I think, temp house and it's like between Mars and Saturn, temp house and fourth house, something like that. Yeah. And I remember I used to be really bummed out about that. And I'm guessing, let's say that I'm the person who has this chart and I come to you and I see that opposition, I would feel bummed out. But you told me something that really changed my perspective about the way that I see opposition. Mm-hmm. It's that there's this great opportunity for growth in that opposition and that if you can really work it, mm-hmm. then you can go next level. Mm-hmm. So what would you suggest to somebody who comes in with a chart like this and has that opposition and feels bummed out, what can you suggest that they can do to kind of elevate that? Um, All this person needs is regular retreats, regular retreats that have a very optimistic, positive, healthy purpose. So rather than getting like thrown in rehab, sent to prison, uh, removed against their will, they need to just actually decide to live a life that includes like many, many, many weeks out of the year where they just go and be somewhere quiet by themselves where they're not bothered with anything. This person has so much connection to higher intelligence, the divine God, whatever you want to call it. And in order for them to actually access that and have that be a benefit instead of a, an agony, they just need time alone. They need time in quiet. They need retreat from the world so they can actually like disconnect from all the static and listen. If they don't get that, people with this much sensitivity, they get very prone to sickness. They get very weak in their energy. They get very... Um, easily influenced by things that they should not be influenced by Um, oppressive forces, whether that is other people or drugs or whatever. Um, But yeah, what I would tell this person is that they actually, they're here in this life to know God. That's what they want. This person wants to know God. It's very serious. Um, And in order to do that, they need to just, stay away from the world, give themselves quiet time, disconnect, take good care of themselves, you know? Um, (laughs) So that's what I would say. And I think this person though, because they are a celebrity. Yeah. And they're a very well-known celebrity, one of the biggest celebrities right now, that would be very difficult for them to do. Very, very difficult. I mean, that's like, we're looking at like, um, it's kind of tragic in its own way. It's kind of tragic. Um, success like this person has is very painful. 
Um, now the, like, if you want to look at the idea, the ideal of fame is represented by the qualities of the sun. So the sun being the brightest star in the heavens and the idea of being famous, we associate with stardom. So if you want to like understand just symbolically what fame is all about, it's about being the sun, feeling like the sun, shining like the sun. Um, and this person's sun is in this really quiet place, like deep, deep, deep in the abyss. And so no matter how famous they become, they still don't feel like they're being seen for who they really are. To have the sun in the 12th house when you're famous is to still, with all these eyes on you, with all this attention, feeling like no one's actually seeing what you're trying to say because you're so deeply buried in the abyss, in, in the unconscious, in a place where people they repress things, they ignore things, they don't see things. That's the whole point of the unconscious is to not, to not see it. And so there is this kind of agony being super successful and famous, like mega famous and still not feel like you're being seen. Um, so it's like drinking water when you're thirsty and it's not quenching your thirst, you know? It's like actually a pretty painful chart. Now, the other thing is that he has, or they have, Saturn in Leo. Now, Leo is the sign that is ruled by the sun. And Saturn is the planet that we associate with obstacles, limitations, the answer no, the feeling of hardness and inability and inadequacy. It's the limit that we all have. Everyone has a wall that they hit their head into in life. And that's what Saturn represents. And there's a whole lifetime journey of working with Saturn, becoming stronger as a result of being told no, as a result of having this limitation. But this person, interestingly enough, has Saturn in Leo, which says that um, for a very long time, they have felt really weighed down by the fact that they have to represent the sun when they try to uh, be themselves when they have dynamic emotions maybe they don't feel so solar about something one day that's not what's expected of them what's expected of people with saturn and leo is to always represent the qualities of the sun so you're supposed to always have charisma and leadership and energy and fire and people with Saturn and Leo, they're kind of like, they have to struggle with that because it's not always nice to have to perform that you feel on fire. <laughs> but the thing is, is that they do learn over time. Like they perform like they're on fire, even when they don't feel it. And they represent that to people and they become a great uh, role model, a great inspiration for others. Whether they actually feel it inside or not, they have learned how to keep people feeling the inspiration and so yeah they have a very they have a very uh <laughs> um i guess a dramatic relationship with persona saturn and leo I was people. just about to say that because looking at this person's chart i mean yeah. the way that the person portrays themselves in public mm -hmm. it 
almost seems like the, like they're so over the top. But now looking at this chart, I'm like, well, that kind of makes sense. There's such an exaggeration, a caricature Mm -hmm. of what a famous person should be. It's almost like they're trying too hard sometimes, or they seem so like off balance. And this is sort of like what we're seeing with this chart. It's like you feel restricted and therefore you're overcompensating. You want to be quiet and yet you feel pulled towards all these different things. Like the relationship this person has with being in the public eye, it's almost like this person is just pushing it and pushing it and people may misunderstand or wonder why is this person so fucking crazy? Mm -hmm. But it's sort of like there's in the chart, there's already this urge to have this, I guess you would call it madness. Oh yeah. This person is crazy. (laughs) But I mean, an artist, I mean, this is the thing, like there's a fine line between madness and and genius. Um, There's like always, this is an artistic temperament, you know? So there's nothing like new or dreadful about this, this artist, but this is definitely what we call an artistic temperament Um, that is kind of like burdened by this really, 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 really hardened and over the top persona as we were just discussing that that trying too hard but almost like an ideal performance art maybe even satire of what a celebrity is you know (laughs) like that's the saturn in leo there's something like so hardened about it so overly sculpted about it it's so overly idealized and overly sculpted it does feel artificial and you wonder if that's not the point you know it's a little bit of both it's the point to feel that artificial persona coming through um but it's also like it's very real that is also what this person has to work with like they can only really relate to people through these artificial personas and so it's their art that's what their art is, is to create these like really elaborate masks to wear and um, interact with people through them. And with all this, this 12th house activity, it's just like, here's a person that just has a lot of the human story flowing through them, just flowing through them really naturally. The whole human story is just coming through them. And in the only way for them to be able to translate that and share that with other people is to create really, really over the top persona. So, <laughs> you yeah. Think the reason why uh, they're so outwardly focused or they're so into like, I guess the sort of celebrity persona is because they have so much energy in that 11th house. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Can you repeat the last thing you just said? I'm sorry, it cut out. No, I was just noticing that they have a lot of energy and a lot of planets in the 11th house. And the 11th house is the house of organizations, right? It's like of the groups of a large audience. I almost imagine like a pulpit, you know, and like somebody talking to like Mm -hmm. a cloud of people in a way. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, yeah, let's talk about, let's talk about the pulpit. That actually shows up in two spots. Um, you can see his, this moon in the ninth house. That's the house of God, religion, higher learning. Um, to have a moon there is to be like 
seriously like a <laughs> someone who loves the idea of church, who loves religious experience, who loves spiritual journeys, who loves to adventure and find like seek God. That's really like where we get that. Now the 11th house shows such a concentration of ability to become a leader, to get people rallied around their beliefs. And so in another life, if this person wasn't a celebrity, um, they could have started a great church like in any cool. state in the U.S. and like had a great following of people that just really wanted to support them and live like this person. Um, so there's really no escaping it. Even if they weren't a celebrity, I'm pretty sure they would have still started a cult like, of some kind. Um, now, what's interesting, though, is that you can see Mars and Venus and Mercury and Taurus in the 11th house that shows that mind, attractive ability, all this sexual energy, that's all there in the 11th house to attract people, lead people, get people to rally around a shared cause or a common ideal. Um, but there's also Chiron there, if you see right that, right there, Chiron. And I don't know what your impressions of Chiron are after your studies, Chawun, but I am interested. What do you think of Chiron being there? From what I understand, it's sort of healing yourself through healing others. So it's, it's a wound that never goes away. So it's like a challenge that will never stop. It's a chronic sort of pain that you have. And the only way to really overcome the pain, which will never technically go away, is to give it to another person or persons. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's exactly like that. So this person has like, they have a wound that needs to be healed in the area of the 11th house, which is getting people to follow behind a cause. So their, their leadership and their ability to get people excited and to follow them is their gift to the world. It's definitely what heals them, but it's also something that reopens the wounds. So it is a very difficult thing. It's like painful and healing, painful and healing. Um, and you can see that his Venus and Mars is conjunct with Chiron. And so that tends to create a lot of painful experiences surrounding um, intimate relationships, a lot of painful experiences with um, forming close emotional attachments. Like there's just going to be a wound there. Every time this person tries like to deeply, deeply connect and really, really trust, there's, there's a definitely a propensity to experience great betrayal. Um, I have a question. So yeah. Is it that even though it's in the 11th house, because yeah. the way that I've seen charts and maybe it's a very, I don't know, very black and white way of looking at it. But for me, like forming close relationships, it, it's a seventh house issue. But is it also, it doesn't matter where Venus is in the chart. It's just where certain planets are. Well, he's, yeah, we were looking at Venus and Mars conjunct. Um, and so when you have a Venus-Mars conjunction, and you're looking at Chiron on top of that, it's just going to show up in relationships no matter what house it's in. Um, if it was seventh house, I'd say it's definitely marriage and business, but it actually looks more like um, it's friends. It's actually the wider, it's the wider uh, the coupling. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like it's the, it's the wider reach that this person has relationship wise. That's very vulnerable to attack. Um, so there's um, actually more problems with friends and associates than let's say intimate marriage partners, you know? Um, so this partner or this person would both love the public, need the public, and nurture the public, and yet also feel backstabbed and betrayed mm-hmm. by the public. Exactly. A lot. What does it mean? What does it mean that there's Taurus in the eleventh house? Because I'm guessing if it was another sign there, it would mm-hmm. be a slightly different flavor. Um. Yeah. Well, of course. Um. Taurus in the eleventh house. Oh, so if the eleventh house is like the environment where we create, where we create subcultures, where we create, um, yeah, subcultures, that's the best term. So if, if a sign like Taurus is in the 11th house of subcultures, then there's always going to be this very luxurious, sensual feeling in all of it. So this person in this area that is so important to them, the creation of subculture, they're going to have an unusually high, uh, <laughs> an unusually high attunement to the finer things in life. Um, extremely good taste. I think that's the best. Uh, that's the best uh, summary of Taurus. Um, yeah. So whatever kind of artist this person is, they pride themselves on having the finest taste in what it is that they do. And it can't be denied that people with a lot of Taurian energy do indeed, they have good taste. They have a really good ear for things. They have a really good sense of smell. They have a good sense of taste. So when people have a lot of Taurus, especially Venus, which is in her rulership there, you actually do want to ask this person to taste wine and tell you what to drink and you do want this person to pick what you're going to listen to at a party. Um, you do actually want to trust this person's taste. So that is part of the subculture is good taste. Hmm. So good taste that is broadcasted to the public. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. So they're a tastemaker. They're, they're somebody who can shape culture because they do have such elevated taste. Exactly. Okay, so it seems like so far this person is a little bit of a wackadoo, but in a way they kind of play it up because they feel restricted by it. So they're almost performing themselves being a wackadoo and they've got this natural sort of mm, ability to draw people in because they're basically cool. They've got such incredible taste in music and in culture. Um, and they also have this great desire to know more about life and about truth, mm-hmm. but at the same time, maybe a lack of certain sort of like mundane discipline to be able to control all of that. Yeah, completely. <laughs> so this person just sounds like very fun to kind of like know on the periphery, right? But also kind of like a whirlwind of chaos in a lot of ways. Oh God, definitely. Um, definitely. It depends on how tolerant you are of artists, you know, like, like um, 
I think that this, this person uh, would be a lot of fun to be in the 11th house with. Mm-hmm. It'd be fun to hang out in the subculture. It would be fun. Um, but you would not want, you wouldn't want to rely on them to always be there for you. You wouldn't want to rely on them to always have any consistency at all, honestly. <laughs> like um, This person's born to just sort of like vacillate wildly. Um, they have a lot of energy that vacillates wildly, uh, that it's not their forte to be consistent. It's not their forte to make sense. It's their forte to vibrate and vacillate and move a lot of things, connect a lot of things, but you would not want to, uh, like be best friends with this person. If you need your best friend to be there for you, you know? I'm guessing this is not somebody you would want as your CPA. You don't want this guy doing your taxes. No, I don't think so. No, okay. no, no, no. And the other thing is, is that just how this person might feel, um, see the cancer rising. So the rising sign represents what we kind of feel like on the outside, what our vibe is, especially in person, Um, this is not so easy to translate as a celebrity, what your rising sign is, but sometimes it comes through, but this is really for people that actually know this person. Cancer rising is a lovely energy. It actually feels familiar. That's the quality of it. It feels familiar. It feels approachable. People with cancer rising, they, they kind of vibe as kind and maternal But the dark side of Cancer Rising is that because they can be so caring and so kind and so soft on the outside, they also come with a certain moodiness. They can really turn that off and just go completely cold. So Cancer Rising is either the warmest, most affectionate, sweet person that you've ever known, or they are like just a wall, talking to a wall, completely cold. So... That's an idea. Yeah. So this person sounds super, super emo, just in general. No, that's a great word for cancer, emo. Um, and it's the reason why they go cold is not because they, they hate. It's not love turning into hate. It's actually that this person's really sensitive. They're really sensitive. They feel other people's feelings very deeply. And it's overwhelming for them. So when they don't feel safe, they hide. Just like, um, you know, cancer is associated with the image of the crab, the hermit crab. So Mm -hmm. crabs have the ability to actually like go completely inside their shell and not come out. Um, And the reason why they do that is because they're, they're vulnerable little invertebrates, you know, trying to survive in this very huge world. Um, Cancerian energy has that quality. It's very, very tender. It's very sweet. It's very vulnerable. And so it comes with a lot of protection. So when cancer rising people are shutting out all of the people around them, it's because they don't feel safe. And I imagine if you're a celebrity that you don't feel safe very much. <laughs> so it must well, be know, hard. I think this person, you can definitely see a lot of that sweet, vulnerable energy a lot of the art that this person creates, um, it definitely has that sort of 
I mean, there is this like strong, like, yay, I'm celebrity, but there's also this side that's like incredibly vulnerable. And in fact, I think this person got into the public eye creating art that talked a lot about struggles and about showing, you know, their heart. Mm-hmm. But then of course, after that, then they started go- going off on the deep end and then retreating, antagonizing, retreating back <laughs> from the world. Very just like moody relationship. Mm-hmm. And yet- Mm-hmm. there's this vulnerability about them. They're not like the super tough, like super macho sort of feel. No. Although I think there's a lot of like, I think this person probably likes to posture that as much as possible, but it's, is. You can just feel this person just doesn't have that macho-ness. Posturing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's opposing. It's, he's posing. Like, <laughs> Um, he's actually very sensitive, dreamy, t- very vulnerable. Um, and that is pronounced even more by the fact that the moon is in Pisces. So you are a Pisces, Chawon. I would like it if you would actually describe what Piscean energy is like. It's very difficult, difficult to describe, but I would say for me, because... I'm a Pisces sun, but I do have um, that Virgo moon and Gemini rising to kind of cover it up. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. but um, the way that I see it is life literally feels like a dream. Like it doesn't feel real. Mm-hmm. Like people talk about things and I kind of feel like, you know, Neo going into the Oracle's like office and seeing like the little kid who says, this is not a spoon, you know, like I just walk around like that. So sometimes I feel as though because life doesn't feel real, I, because my rising and my moon, that kind of helps ground me, but I can only imagine if my moon was also in Pisces, like, I, I don't know. I, it would be like, I'd just be walking around acting completely high all the time. I like that. High all the time. I, I mean, sometimes I just feel like that and I try, and the thing is, I think it's very difficult for Pisces to exist in today's world, like today's sort of capitalistic society, because I, I can't, I can't function in like this, like regimented environment mm-hmm. and this um, sort of focus on materialistic things. It's mm-hmm. very difficult. And I think probably that's the hallmark of Pisces, right? It's like, I know Kurt Cobain, he was, I think, a Pisces as well. Yes, he was. Yeah, just this element of like not feeling like the world is real and therefore not in a way being ostracized or feeling disconnected because you just feel like totally trippy all the time. Yeah. Well, life is, um, I mean, life is a dream of sorts. That is a, a great awakening that everyone uh, eventually comes to in some manner. This, what we are living is some form of dream. Um, and Pisceans just know that all the time. They're not so deluded as to think that what's going on right now is super, super real. As a result, they seem off kilter to the rest of the zodiac. <laughs> they always seem like they're ca- they're way out there. Pisces are just cast adrift. They're not really like with us. They have some other idea about what's going on. They live in their own dream world. You know, that's kind of where Pisces gets put. 
people that live in a dream world, dreamers. Um, so however your relationship with dreamers may be, that's your relationship to the element, the element that makes Pisces truly Piscean. Um, people that are like kind of high all the time, they're either like really far away in imagination land or they're just feeling something completely different because they're not feeling the present moment the way that it looks on the outside. They're feeling everyone's emotions, sometimes in the whole world. And this is why Pisces is such a trippy sign is because it is actually, it is the sign where everything melts back down into primordial unity. And so people with Piscean energy in their chart in any pronounced way, they have a deep and profound connection to that unity between all consciousness, all life. And so they feel that. And it could be really blissful, like you and a tree merging together, music and you merging together, you and another person merging together, watercolors, shape-shifting. It's very beautiful. But it can also be really scary. It's a lot to feel. And um, it's, it's not always uh, easy to be like that in tune <laughs> with the unity that's going on between everyone. So yeah, I mean... To have your, um, to be a cancer rising is to be soft on the outside. <laughs> to be moon in Pisces is to be really, really soft on the inside. <laughs> like, and we would only, like, we would look for the sun to kind of hold some of this up. Like, as you said, you're a sun in Pisces and you feel like that's really grounded by the moon in Virgo, the Gemini rising. Absolutely. You have a lot of armor. <laughs> Um, this person's son is in the 12th house where we described already is like, that's the unconscious. That is the transcendent. That is the mythical. It's not super focused here either. This person has a really hard time being here now. It's a really hard time being manifested in material reality. So if they seem like, like sleepwalkers, uh, like a sleepwalker or like a daydreamer, that's because they are. <laughs> like, that's because they are. You know, like this is making me think this person's partner mm -hmm. is, I, I mean, I don't know their chart, but just from what I can see, yeah, their partner may actually be a really good fit because their partner seems to be or have the resources to be protective mm -hmm. towards this person. Like, I think when that person got together, when the couple got together, people were just like, what the, right? I mean, it made sense, but it kind of didn't. Yeah. But looking at his chart, I'm just like, this is somebody who needs to be protected. Yeah. And his partner has not just herself, but just a cadre, <laughs> you know, a, a dynasty of protection. Mm-hmm around her as well so i'm just like okay that kind of makes sense and maybe i'm gonna guess there's more groundedness in her chart so to help this person we can only hope i actually don't i don't know her chart at all it's an interesting question but we can only hope <laughs> like um if not her then at least her people you know whoever is like looking out for them and making their schedules you know <laughs> like hopefully yeah. I mean, it's so interesting because looking at this chart, I think 
the persona that the public knows versus this chart. This chart actually shows, it shows somebody who has a lot of depth, somebody who's very deep. Uh, yeah, yeah, actually, actually a legit artist, like a real, yeah. someone who has actually something to say, um, a real vision, a real connection to, to the soul. That's all there. Um, and I think even this person's worst enemies will, they'll all agree this person's talented. Yeah, I think so. I think, I think that is one of the beautiful things about Geminian energy is that it's so diverse and it brings a lot of diverse interest as well. Um, what is really amazing about this person's career is that people from all walks of life not only know who they are, but like them. And it doesn't always add up. It's not always like, you know, the most predictable thing. But I think everyone agrees that there's a wealth of talent, as you said. Yeah. So let's think, guys. What celebrity, like very well-known celebrity has that sort of bipolar, trippy, emo energy, loves to posture, macho-ness, and yet you can just tell there's that streak of little boy vulnerability, is great at bringing people to him, has impeccable taste, is a taste maker, like literally, um, in a lot of ways, even though he may posture that, oh, you know, like I, I make culture now, in a way, he kind of does. Like, he's not totally off point there. Yeah. Somebody who has the ability to basically change society through their taste and through, I guess, their connection with some sort of divine creativity that most people don't have. Like, basically, this person is a type of genius. Yeah. Person. yeah. And celebrity culture today has that pop culture icon. If you guess, do you want to say, Rachel, who our celebrity is, our mystery star is? Um, I'm waiting for people to, okay, Sabrina. Kanye. She's right. Kanye. Yay. Very good. Very good, Sabrina. That was really, really good. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's Kanye West, and today's his birthday, so hopefully he's having a good birthday. I mean... I, I am not, like I told Chawun, I'm not up on the latest gossip, um, but I still know a lot about Kanye West. And that's like, that's how famous and how diverse his talents are. So it's pretty amazing, actually. Um, it is. And it's not just music, fashion. Yeah. He totally yeah. influences fashion um, and just celebrity culture, what it means to be a celebrity. Yeah, yeah. So he yeah. is both high level and high concept art, but also like street art and more like, you know, um, I guess everyday man sort of art. Yeah. He can mix those two things. I remember a couple of years ago, um, he did a music video where there was a Japanese artist, that really famous um, Japanese um, graffiti or graphic artist. I forgot. I totally forget. Yeah. Um, he did a collab on that music video. And it was like one of the first times I had seen like a Japanese anime style cutesy mm -hmm. video mixed in with like more, you know, like, dr like driving, like bass driven, like rap music, like put together in that sort of fashion. And that's the sort of vision that he has and his shoe line, his fashion, everything. I mean, 
he has this entire persona that is actually just him just being Kanye, right? Like Kanye being Kanye. Um, but he literally is a genius. He's a tastemaker and a genius. Nobody can deny it. It's true. I mean, I, I didn't even know about all of his company. I didn't even know about all of that. Um, what I respect him for is his, like, his encyclopedic knowledge and very good taste in great American music of the past. So, like, his selections of R&B and rock and roll from the last, like, six decades in this country is incredible to me. I really, really love the ear that he has for the great music that we used to make in this country. <laughs> like, um, I love R&B. I love Motown. I was raised on that music. Yes. Um, and so that's why I really, really like him because he just, he loves that too. And he actually knows it like, like a Gemini would encyclopedic knowledge. Um, and what you're describing is like, again, it's very Geminian. They are pollinators. They're like busy little bees that just like bring worlds together. So what you're like, oh my God, it was so cool that he brought the Japanese animation with this. But that's what Geminis do. They weave things together. They bring ideas together. They just collect everything that they're interested in and put it all in a pile. And um, it's, it's, it's a great gift, you know? Like, and there is also an interesting, there's an interesting uh, Geminian current in you know, great musicians and there's a lot of Gemini rappers. So there's Kanye West, he's a Gemini, but Tupac was a Gemini as well. You know, like it's, it's a common enough theme. Um, Kendrick Lamar is also a Gemini. They have this versatile quickness with language and because they're pollinators and because they're picking up on everything and they're interested in everything, driven by curiosity, it can oftentimes lead to these like incredible gifts with lyrics, lyrics that are um, not only clever, but are also like incredibly current. So that's, uh, that's what I have to say about Kanye West. You know, um, it's his birthday. Happy birthday, Geminis. Hey everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Witches and Wine audio experience. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting me on Patreon. You can choose between a few membership tiers. They're super affordable and flexible. Your membership helps me continue making videos, podcasts, articles, lots of different things about all the sweet witchy stuff. Links are in the show notes. Also, don't forget to go on iTunes and give this a five-star rating. Each five-star rating helps rank this podcast higher in searches so that as many witches can find and enjoy these episodes as well. Until next time, this is Chawan, signing off. <laughs>